who's very hip and trendy, told me I needed to point this out to you. I'm no longer wearing a boot. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I had surgery on my left foot, but I'm wearing these shoes called Crocs, right? <laughs> and, and my wife or my daughter said, Dad, please say something because you look silly. So, so telling you, it's not on purpose. They just have a heel that's comfortable on the back of my heel. Thank you for children in your life. <laughs> I love it. Right here, look at this. I, I, how many of you are familiar with uh, these, these four little letters? R-S-V-P. Familiar with those? Some of you hear those letters when you get them out of an envelope, an envelope and you say to yourself, I better quickly get on this because I need to get back to that person who is sending me some information, right? Some of you see these four little letters and think to yourself, nah, I'll get back later. Some of you put it up on the refrigerator and think, well, when I got a little time, right? See, the problem with today, RSVP, is is one of those things that Back in, well, when we were younger and people would send us a letter, we could open up the letter and decide we would get to it whenever we could get to it, if we could or couldn't or whatever it was. But today, in the world of Evites, they know when you opened it. That's a problem, right? How many of you have an unopened Evite in your email box that you've not opened because you don't want them to know you know how you have it? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hands. RSVP. Carrie Garbus of Ovation Communication says she hates spending the following month from sending out an RSVP, emailing, texting, calling to see whether the invitee will do her a favor of accepting her hospitality. She says she suffers from RSVP rage. Right? How many of you have ever suffered from RSVP rage? Right? You send out the, the save the date, you send out all the things and crickets. Or as Christina would say, blink, blink, blink. No one gives you anything. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You send out something, you're like, I just, we got it. Why is RSVP important? Well, it's important because you need to know how much food to prepare, how many tables to set up, how much parking to plan for, all of the above. But all too often, we take the RSVP moment and we put it on the back shelf and do nothing about it. What does RSVP actually stand for? Four letters that we throw out there that we think they know what they mean, but we're not sure, right? RSVP. It's French. Stands for répondez s'il vous plaît. French. Répondez s'il vous plaît. Here's what it means. Please respond. (laughs) Répondez s'il vous plaît. Four words, right? RSVP literally means Please respond. Last weekend, we had a wonderful time in Easter, and over 800 people showed up, and it was a lot of fun with a bunch of people hanging out, and a lot of people raised their hands to rededicate their lives to following Jesus. There's a bunch of people who raised their hands on the outside, and there's a whole bunch of people who raised their hands on the inside and said, Lord, I want to serve you with my life. I want to rededicate or make a decision to follow you with my heart. And that was last week. How did this week go? How did it go for you? Were you able to, well, walk that new decision out in your life? You see, far too often we make a decision and then fail to actually, well, respond. RSVP. To me, it's a call to action. 
It's a call to action as a pastor to lead you to respond well to the decision you made to following the Lord. I want to take the next four weeks helping you respond well to the decision to follow Jesus or the decision to continue to follow Jesus. Amen? Will you join me as we pray and begin this four-week series? God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to respond well to what you've called us to as Christians. Lord, I know that we can say in our mouth all we want to, Lord, but if we don't believe it in our hearts and it shows up in our hands and feet, then God, all we're doing is making noise. Help us to learn how to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to respond well according to your word. We need you, God, a bunch in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 14, and verse 15. Luke, chapter 14, and verse 15. Luke, chapter 14, because I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a context nerd, I always want to find out how chapter 14, verse 15 started, right? It's important for you to know the context before we start just running off on something. Luke, chapter 14, actually begins up in chapter 14, verse 1. And in context, what we find is is that Jesus was invited to a luncheon. And this luncheon back in chapter 14, verse 1, really through the first seven verses, Jesus was invited by a bunch of Pharisees and scribes. Basically, there were a bunch of religious people in that day. It was the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath was when you did no work. If you did any work, you would have been breaking the law. And if you broke the law, that, wouldn't, uh, that, that would necessarily prove the fact that you weren't necessarily a Christian or a believer or a follower of God. A bunch of scribes and Pharisees thought they would trick Jesus into a moment of exposing the fact that he wasn't a good God guy, if you will. He wasn't a good Christian or a good follower of God. So they invite Jesus to this lunch. They also invited a man who had a disease. And the disease that he had, uh, some of your Bibles say dropsy or whatever, it's really edema. So basically it was this swelling of the body, joints and legs and whatever it was. It was a, a very uncomfortable and can be signs of dangerous medical issues that are on. Well, they invite Jesus and this fella to that luncheon, right? And even though Jesus was the guest of honor and that guy was a guest of honor, they were really trying to trap Jesus because they knew the heart of Jesus would be there to want to heal this man. So Jesus gets there, and in the first couple verses, they got Jesus hook, line, and sinker. Before the lunch is served, Jesus looks over at the man on the Sabbath and heals him of his disease. Jesus goes on from verses, I believe it's 7 to 14, and begins to talk to them about the fact that uh, what would uh, they were all wrestling with this banquet, trying to figure out who would be the greatest and who could sit in the best seat. And Jesus tells them the reason he healed this man on the Sabbath day. He says, listen, if your ox or if your son fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you do some work to get him out? If they were in trouble, wouldn't you do something, everything you could to help someone you loved? And Jesus begins to, because they can't answer, so he begins to expose their, well, not good walk with God in that moment. Then we get down to verse 15. It says here in Luke chapter 14, verse 15, Hearing this, after Jesus had exposed them about the fact that they were now walking in their pride, Verse 15 says, On hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a privilege it will be, it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus replied with this illustration. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When it was all ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to come. But all of them began to make excuses. One said, I just bought a field and I wanted to inspect it. So he asked to be excused. Another said, I just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. And another said, I had just been married. He said, I can't come. Verse 21, so the servant and the, and so the servant returned and told the master what they had said. The master was angry and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the city and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So the master said, go out into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone, anyone you find to come, so that the house will be full. For none of those I invited first will even get the smallest taste of what I have prepared for them. RSVP. How do you respond appropriately to a decision to follow hard after God? Many of you in this room have made a decision at one point in your life to decide to to change the direction your life had been heading, to, to, to move in a direction that's going to change who you are, maybe even the people you hang out with, maybe even your, uh, your, your livelihood, I don't know where, but you've made a decision to change the direction of your life and to start serving God. Many of you remember the moment when that happened. Maybe some here today have never said the prayer. You've never really actually surrendered your life to Christ. Elia and the team this morning sang a song and said, I surrender. Man, if there's one thing that typifies the Christian life more than anything else, it's not about you inviting Jesus into your world. It's about you surrendering your life to his. And watching that journey happen is really when our salvation moment happens. RSVP. Respond, please. How do we respond correctly to the Lord? I wrote down four things using the letters RSVP to help us learn how to respond best to Jesus in this decision to follow after or to continue to follow after with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. How do we RSVP or respond correctly to the Lord? Number one, R, we need to remember our starting point. Remember your starting point. Look at what it says in Luke 14, 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a privilege it would be, what a privilege, I'm sorry, he says, What a privilege it, it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. You have to understand the context. Jesus is there with a bunch of scribes and Pharisees, a bunch of religious, pompous people who at that point actually believed because they were Jewish and they followed certain laws and traditions that they automatically got access into the kingdom of heaven. And they believe that at this kingdom of heaven there will be a banqueting feast from the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. That there would be this moment where they would just feast in heaven. This man stands, literally, I just get this picture of this man sitting in all of his religious garb, holding up a, some sort of a goblet or whatever and saying, Oh, it will be great to have share in the kingdom of God. And all the people around said, Hear, hear. And Jesus doesn't respond by saying, Oh, hang on a second. There's more to this story than your just desire to want to be there. There's actually a transformation that has to take place in your heart. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus starts to tell a story. I love that Jesus didn't address the fact that they were way off base. 
See, this particular fellow, these guys believed that if they followed rules and regulations, that it didn't matter if their heart was engaged. They thought that if they went to church and they served in the nursery and they, and they gave money, somehow that, that was going to make God just, well, owe them one. <laughs> and they believed that in their Jewishness, in their whatever it is, their religious strictness, that somehow that was going to force the hand of God to make sure that they, he made room in heaven for them. In fact, the more strict, uh, the strictness they allowed to their instringencies they put on their relationship with God, you had to do it at this time, and you couldn't do this. And I mean, I've told you before, like when it said not to work on the Sabbath, they would get so weird about it, that they wouldn't even get to the point where they couldn't spit on the ground, because if they spit on the ground, the ground uh, would, it, the spit would hit the dirt, the dirt would, would turn up because it would be dusty out there, therefore it would be like you tilling the soil, therefore no spitting on the Sabbath. I mean, you think it's funny, but even today, uh, we were in Israel a few years back, and Polly and I were there on the Sabbath. And, and literally, they have, there, there's four elevators in the bay of the elevators where they were. One elevator was set apart as the Sabbath elevator. Literally, the Sabbath elevator, so there's big long lines outside the other elevators. The Sabbath elevator door would open up by itself and would go up to every floor. The door would open, close. Go up one floor, open, close. Go up one floor, open, close. Go up floor, all by itself because it was work to push the button. You can't work on the Sabbath. So you walk on the Sabbath elevator and wait till the 32nd floor, right? And so smart guy me sees this big long line and I'm like, I'm hopping on that one, right? So we hopped on it because there was no line at the Sabbath elevator. <laughs> but it took me about four floors and I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. We're going we're to climb the stairs to the next whatever. I mean, it was ridiculous. The Sabbath to them was a big deal. You can't work on the Sabbath. Listen, if we're going to respond to the Lord, I think one of the first things we need to do is remember our starting point. When was the last time you remembered the day of your salvation? When was the last time you remembered the day or the season of your salvation? The, the, the moment that you maybe came forward at an altar call, or maybe you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't come forward at all, but you just said the prayer, or whatever it was that happened. Uh, personally, for me, I, I don't remember. I don't, it, was, it was back in the season of 19, I remember it was the summer of 1985, when I started the summer not knowing who Jesus was and ended the summer knowing who Jesus was. I don't know, I can't remember a sermon or a preacher or a book or uh, something I listened to. I just, I just don't know. I started differently than I ended. And all I know was my life has never been the same. I think I told you this before, but I, went to, I, started, I was attending this little church in a small little community, a town called Carbonado. Have you been to Carbonado? Right? So the church was about, well, it was about half of this right here, <laughs> this little teeny thing. And I remember this, this older gal was in there. And, and again, I didn't know enough that, to, to know that in church when, some, when the preacher says something, you're supposed to say, amen, hallelujah. Or you're supposed to use like Christian jargon. I didn't know any of that stuff. All I knew was, was, for the first time in my life, whatever it was that preacher was saying started to make sense to me. And so I remember sitting in the front row and he was talking and I was like, yeah, that's good. Say that again. I mean, I'm just saying stuff that's like not whatever you're supposed to say, Christianese. And I remember this, this elderly gal in her, I don't know, she was an older gal. She came up to me afterwards and little teeny feeble gal, she, I'm 6'4", so she puts her hand up on my shoulder and she's like, uh, Lance, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, sure. And she goes, you seem super excited about your faith in God. And I was like, oh, it's finally real to me. I can't believe how excited I am. She said, honey, I want you to know something. I said, what? And she goes, it's going to wear off. She was wrong. 
didn't wear off. It got worse. I'm a preacher. I love it. When was the last time you remembered the season of your salvation? The time when someone said, you know what, whatever, and then now it made sense to you. See, I think if we're going to respond to God correctly, at some point we need to go back to remember where it all started. Remember what it was like? Things weren't going so well. Things didn't add up and someone said something to you. Maybe you started reading your Bible. I don't know how it happened. Everyone's got a story. You know, every one of us has a testimony, right? See, you might even have a testimony that was, ah, I was raised up in church and I didn't do the rags to riches. I didn't run off and do something crazy and then have to return to God. I was just raised up in church singing songs and reading my Bible and memorizing scripture because that's what my mom and my Sunday school teachers told me to do. Maybe that's your story. Can I tell you, you still have a testimony. You still have a testimony of the faithfulness of God in your life and what he's done, even up to this point. Maybe you have a testimony in your world of what God's done in you lately. So here's my challenge for you. I have a friend of mine who, uh, she, she had a, her name is Paula, a super good friend of mine, but, but she was a gal who, who, who journeyed her course, and it was a single mom world, and she was struggling hard, and Polly and I and her were good friends, and she ended up one day getting invited to, to, to share her testimony in front of a group of people, so she did. <laughs> and, and, and in the crowd was a man who said, that woman will one day be my wife. It didn't take long. A few years later, I ended up doing their wedding. I love it, right? Why? Your testimony has power in it. There's got to be something in your life that you can share. My challenge for you this week is to tell somebody something. Tell somebody something about the day you met Jesus or the season your life changed or the time that you said, listen, I'm no longer going to be that person. If we're going to learn to respond correctly to the Lord, we've got to go back. Psalm 51.12, David, going through a difficult season, writes, Restore me, restore me again to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world, a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds Shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Not only are we to respond by remembering the day of our salvation, but number two, S, we need to stay away from excuses. Verse Chapter 14, verse 18, it says, They all began making excuses. One said, I bought a field and wanted to inspect it, so he asked to be excused. The other said, I bought five pair of oxen and want to try them out. Another had just been married, and he said that he couldn't make it. Excuses, right? What keeps you from responding to God correctly? I think it's sometimes it's just excuses. Excuses are like what? Armpits, right? Armpits. I didn't say the other one. Armpits. Why? Everyone's got a couple and they stink, right? Let me take excuses. Everyone's got a couple. Uh, to me, it's interesting. You read this story and it says the first guy says, you know, I, went, I, I bought some land and I'm going to go check it out. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you bought land and didn't already know what it looked like? right? Excuses. Another guy says, I bought five yoke oxen and I want to try them out instead of going to this celebration. The third one probably makes the most sense. He says, hey, I'm married. You know, I can't come. I mean, so who knows? But nevertheless, I would say this. You need to understand the context of the society that, they got, that, this, that this particular passage was written in. This was a day and age when the mundane of eking out a living in the, the toil of your 
your labor and all that you had to do to make it happen was so much more difficult than it is today. Back then, when you got invited to a banquet, it was a big deal because you didn't have to run out and kill the animal to, to butcher it, to get it prepared, to cook it, to pro- get it all done and do all the things you had to do. You got invited to a feast that someone else had paid for and prepared and cleaned up and planned. In fact, quite frankly, this particular culture in this agrarian society was the kind of thing that if you got invited to a banquet, it was not just socially uh, incorrect for you not to come. It was absolutely, uh, those moments were so, so few and far between that it was like a huge moment to have that happen. That if you, it was literally a life-changing decision. People could remember I had been invited to a banquet once in my life, twice in my life, maybe three times. Banquets were a big deal. And here Jesus is talking to a bunch of religious people at a banquet, no less. And he says, let me tell you a story of a rich man who invited a bunch of people to a banquet. Three of them bowed out. Three of them came up with excuses. I think about our journey with God, and I wonder what it is that keeps us from responding correctly to God by getting up and reading his word or being involved in serving in your church or, or trusting with your finances or, or stepping out and saying, God, I, I want to give all my life by sharing my testimony at work. What keeps us from responding to God? Oftentimes it's excuses. I've heard people say, well, Lance, you don't understand. I work for a government agency, and they don't tell me that I can't share my faith at work. I, I can't say the words. And I remember working for a company that had that same rule for 11 years. And it, it, I don't know if I had to say much with my mouth because my life began to speak a message. And I wonder sometimes if we allow our lives to speak the message. Do we do that in our journey? Or do we come up with excuses that say, no, I can't do that here because it's whatever the excuses are. I, you know, I'd get up and read my Bible, but I'm not a morning person. Uh, well, I'm not an afternoon person either. Ah, you know, I'm really not an evening person either. <laughs> I'd read my Bible, but well, I'm just... We come up with excuses as to what keeps us from pursuing him with all of our hearts. Did we forget that Jesus died on a cross for us? The Bible says that the penalty he paid was for you and me. He didn't do that because he was trying to just make somebody happy. He did that because he loved you so much. Is there a place in our life where we say, my life has now got to be sold out to the cause of serving him with everything that I am? That's what I wonder. What keeps us? What are the excuses that we come up with? Uh, Literally, I think we have... Because of the, the, the nature of technology and all that we have, we, we're the most self-absorbed culture I think I can imagine. And we, there's a, a large majority of our day taken up with trying to make sure that our public image is seen by the world in a good light. I don't know how you do your social media and all that happens, but it's not just a, hey, I'd like to take a picture of that thing and then post it on my whatever it is you post it on. Usually it's I'll take 32 pictures and pick the best one and put filters on it so that it makes all the right sense and it makes me look all the right skinny and all the things that look good and then post it. We're funny, man, because we feel like we have, but we'll take all the time to make our image look great, but we'll take no time to make the inside of us be strong. I just wonder what is it that keeps us from responding correctly to the Lord? I don't have the resources, I don't have the time, I don't have the whatever. I don't think that's true. I think every one of us has the same 24 hours, and we get to decide to do what we want to do with it. Amen. Thanks, Joel.
How to respond to the Lord. Number three, V, visualize your future. Luke 14, 24 says, For none of those invited, for none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I prepared for them. And I wonder what that must have felt like to them. These guys were no dummies. I mean, these guys were Pharisees. If you know anything about a Pharisee, they read the Bible. They knew the Bible back and forth. Paul was a Pharisee. He says himself, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, they would spend their life. Uh, when we were in Jerusalem, I remember the guy who that we were touring with, uh, Pastor Steve, he raised in the Jewish home, and he was like, Lance, you don't understand. For someone to be called rabbi, someone to, 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 to even come close to the idea of being Pharisaical what, what was literally such an effort. They would know every single detail of Scripture, uh, memorizing massive quantities. They, they had the Word of God inside of them. They, they had stuff. They knew what was going on in terms of what God had required. The problem is, is they had no relationship. And I can imagine when, when Jesus says a phrase like this, for none of those I invited first will taste even the smallest taste in the kingdom of heaven. Actually, it says here, taste the smallest taste of what I prepared for them. It's going to be given to somebody else. The poor, the lame, the hurting, the ones who are in the backwoods of whatever it was that it said, right? Literally, that must have just stung to them to say like, no, 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 you can't do that, Jesus. Who are you anyway? I mean, Jesus just gets done healing a brother out of thin air. They know who Jesus is. We don't know this, but you remember Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, and there were some other people, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, both of those guys were Pharisees that ended up coming to be followers of Christ. They were, pe- they were talking. They began to see that there was something different about this Jesus, but not all of them were willing to sell out. My question for you is, is you might know who God is in all your mind and all, all the inside of you. You might have scripture memorized and have a testimony on your lips. But your life isn't living out because you've forgotten what your future looks like. I love the fact that, they, that Jesus gave them just a glimpse of what their future looked like. He's like, listen, if you continue down this path, what you've got to look forward to is not what you think. They thought they looked forward to a seat or a place or a house or a mansion or some place prepared for them in heaven. But literally because their eyes were so focused on themselves, there was no room. They, they, they had it all wrong. How are you visualizing the path that God has for you? How is the trajectory of your life going to show up in the next three years? I love that we've brought our kids into our worship service and have them. I love it. I love listening to the kids around me singing. I, I, everything about it is awesome. Here's why. Two things. One, they get to have a great worship experience themselves, for one. And number two, they get to watch you. They just get to watch you. And I know they're, and forgive me, mom, who's here, who's like, Lance, this is my only time for peace without kids. I'm sorry. Somebody, somebody if you see a kid acting up, please step closer to them, all right? Lean over and say, look what I'm doing. Like, help a mom out, all right? Help a dad out. Help somebody out. Come on. Come on. Yes, amen. Something like that. Realize, right, we're a family. When we do these baby dedications, it's not just messing around. It's serious. They're wanting to watch you. They're trying to say, man, is this really serious to you? This thing that you're doing with God, it's really meaningful to you. You literally lift your hands and worship God. I love when I look around and I see a little kid looking up at somebody else worshiping God. I want them to see that because you have your life somewhere where they want to be. Oh, they don't know about the pain in your heart. They don't know about the trials you're walking through. But they see something on your lips and your hands that they want 
because they can visualize their future now. V, visualize your future. And P, pray for courage. Pray for courage to walk out this journey. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on guard. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. Listen, if we're going to respond correctly to the Lord, we've got to be praying. You know what prayer is, right? Prayer isn't telling God something he doesn't already know. That's silly to think that. He knows everything. So why pray? Why come before the Lord and tell him something he already knows? (laughs) I think sometimes we forget that prayer isn't always about just somehow getting God aware of your problem. (laughs) I think most of the time, prayer is really taking our lives and lining them up with his life. A prayer is simply saying, God, will will you, this is the kind of prayer that some of us pray, God, would you help my husband or my wife or my kid figure it out? God, help my boss because they're crazy and they're off base. And God, will you just fix them? And God, do this and God, do that. And we come before God with all these requests. And let me tell you, when you spend just a little bit longer in the presence of God, here's what he'll tell you. Here's what he'll tell you. I did do something. I sent you. Be nice. Show up to work on time. Pick up the garbage in the parking lot as you're journeying your course into the company. Be Jesus at every level. See, I think that's what we forget is at some point we think, well, if I could just, I don't know. I think sometimes we forget prayer is actually God changing us too. And our prayer times become these moments. There's been so many times in prayer when I'll just be sitting and praying for you and God says, no, 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 Lance, this is about you. There's times I actually thought to myself one day when I go to heaven that God's going to say, hey, remember that whole church thing I had you doing down there on earth, talking up in front of people and all that stuff? They weren't, that wasn't really real, Lance. This was all just about you and me because I needed to get to the bottom of you and put several hundred people in front of your life every week. I don't know. Probably not true. But let me tell you this. I want my life to be different. When I pray for you, God affects me. How do you respond to God correctly? How do you respond quickly? How do you get to the place where we say, Jesus, I want you to transform me? RSVP. Respondez, s'il vous plaît. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask this morning that you would help us to be men and women who do more than just be hearers of your word. Lord, you, you over and over again said that that's just foolishness for someone to hear your word and walk away and do nothing. I know there are men and women, there are boys and girls, Lord, that are listening to this message today. You're calling us to a place of remembering our testimony, of running from excuses, of visualizing our future, and of praying for courage to walk it out. I pray for the person this morning who's here, who's never surrendered their life to Jesus. If that's you this morning and you want to be sure that you have that, 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 that salvation moment set up for you for all eternity. And you want to make sure that today is the day of your salvation. Today you want to become a Christian. If that's you, will you just lift your hand up so we can pray for you? This morning, just say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe you've done it already. 
looks like there's a room full of people who have already surrendered their life to Christ. But maybe this morning, you've been walking away from him. Your journey's been a selfish journey. Your journey's been like everyone else, and you've just decided you'd do it your own way. God's been tugging at your heartstrings, and he brought you to church this morning because he wanted you to know, hey, man, you're close, but just to get back on track. You want to rededicate your life to following. If that's you, just say, Jesus, I don't need to get resaved. I just want to get realigned with you. I realign my life with you, Jesus. Say that, just in your own lips. Jesus, I want to realign my life with you today. My heart, my soul, my mind, my hands, my feet. I want to commit every minute of my day to following you. In Jesus' name. Amen. RSVP. Amen. Hey, listen, I, uh, I really want you to pay attention to the financial peace class that's coming up this next Wednesday. Sign up. I would love to have you there. If you're on the fence, sign up anyway. Come and be a part of it, and we'll, we'll walk this thing through together. Because let me tell you, there's, if there's something, Bill told me this, there's more scripture about finances and money in the Bible than almost anything else. Because I think in a lot of ways, we get trapped by it. And so let's figure out what God says about it. Amen? Amen. All right, I want you to stand to your feet. God bless you.